Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. Here's a change of schedule. Beginning April 29th until June 17th, we will be meeting at 8.30 a.m., 9.45 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 12.45 p.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. God, thank you for that we are able to be part of this with Chris and with Trish and with Mel in the first service. Thank you that you lead us into newness of life, that we understand from baptism that that old person can be gone, our sins can be forgiven, and we can emerge with you presented as clean and pure and right. Thank you that our sins can be and are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful celebration today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, absolutely, I'm with you. Fantastic. So I want you to know, if you want to be baptized, we want to baptize you. Our next baptism will actually be at Jones Beach. We've done this once a year for almost a decade. We're going to go down. It's right at the end of June. I think it's the last Sunday in June. All the information will be out there on our website and our social media and all the stuff that we do. If you're thinking about it, we want to see you be baptized. This is, I, I've talked to so many friends. I had friends even in the first service that just reminded me that their baptism was really part of the changing point in their life. And so you can just let us know through all the regular channels that you would like to be baptized, and we will get in touch with you right away. All right? So ever since Easter... We've been talking about how to hear from God, and not in a weird way, like there's something wrong with you that you're hearing voices, but we're saying, how do we learn to really hear from God? And I think today we're actually going to talk about our favorite way to hear from God. Okay, I don't know that our favorite would be an audible voice out loud. I think that would freak me out. I think I would just panic, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things, but our favorite way, I think, to be led by God is through doors of opportunity. And here's what that would kind of look like. You're coming up on a decision in your life that's important to you. You know, maybe you are in your job and you've been thinking about changing careers or changing employers. So you're starting to think about what it would look like to work somewhere else. Or maybe you're a student and you're finishing up high school and you're starting to think about where you want to go to college. And so you're not really sure and you've been kind of praying about that. Where should I go to college and what should I study? Or maybe you're dating someone, you've been dating for a little while, and you're not sure, you know, should this go further, or is it kind of time to end this? Or you've been working for a while, and you're thinking, is it time for me to retire? So you have these decisions that you're sort of, you know, resting on, and they're important to you. And so what we would love to happen is you would pray about it a few times, maybe for a few days, even for a couple of weeks. And then an incredible door of opportunity would open that exactly answers your prayer. Isn't that your favorite way to hear from God? For me, it absolutely is. I remember when I went to college, I had a couple of schools that I was considering, and all of a sudden, one of them just made an offer different from all the others, and I just knew. In fact, I have a good friend. He just did this with his family. His daughter's a senior. She was accepted at three or four schools. They were praying about it. You know, where is she supposed to go? Then one school made an offer that just blew all the other schools away. She knew this incredible opportunity opened. And we love to be led by God this way, and it happens. But if we're honest, 
it probably doesn't happen as much as we would like, right? You're kind of praying for some great opportunity to help make up your mind for you, and a lot of times it's not there. Or sometimes it's a door of opportunity that seems a little bit narrow or a little bit stiff and you're not really sure. Like you're thinking of buying a house and you, you have a neighborhood in mind and you have a house size in mind and you have a price in mind. But soon you realize you're only going to get two of those. You're never going to get all three. You start to realize, boy, this door is not nearly as clear as I would like. Or you're hoping for a, a new job that has a shorter commute, more responsibility, and more money, but less time. And you're having trouble finding that job. <laughs> and you keep waiting for that door of opportunity to open, and it doesn't. And you're not really sure. Or sometimes you're expecting a door to open, and it doesn't. It actually kind of slams in your face. See, it's easy to talk about what to do when a great door of opportunity opens. You just walk through it. That's easy. We don't even have to talk about that. But what do we do when we come on these doors of opportunity and they really do seem closed? Because I know our preference. Our preference, we've heard this phrase a thousand times, we want to walk up to the door and we want, we want opportunity to knock, right? We've said this so many times, opportunity knocks. But sometimes it doesn't, often it doesn't. What do we do in those situations? So we're going to study today in the Bible from the book of Acts. So take out your own app, your own device, or a print Bible. We also have plenty of Bibles in the room. I want you to turn to Acts. The Acts is arranged, of course, in chapters. This is chapter 16. Acts is kind of a unique book in the Bible. It's the first book in the Bible after Jesus has lived, died, and risen again. So the Christian church is literally just starting and Acts talks about how that church began to spread. Jesus, of course, lived in Israel, which is in the Middle East. Christianity is now a global, worldwide religion, as you know. Acts starts to talk about how that happened. It's mostly centered on the person of St. Paul. You've heard of St. Paul. Of course, you know, a third of the religious churches on Long Island are named after him, I think. You know, St. Paul's, usually a very big, nice building. St. Paul, one of the things he did as the church would spread is he would take trips. In fact, there's the missionary journeys of Paul are a big part of this book. We're going to talk about his second trip. And the second trip had a unique beginning. It says at the very end of Acts 15 that what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to go out on his second trip to the same place he had gone on his first trip. He wanted to kind of update them on some things that they had talked about in Jerusalem and settled on. And he just simply wanted to encourage them. So this trip, when he left didn't really have this, you know, huge kind of, you know, broad thesis statement for what they were going to do. It was actually pretty simple. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start uh, in verse 4. So they leave on the trip. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Verse 5 is important. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So verse 5 means, the trip is going great. Paul went out. This time he took with him a man named Silas, who was known to be a prophet, which means they kind of hear from God and can and speak that word into others, and an emerging bright young leader named Timothy. The three of them, and there were others with them, but they were sort of the three principles of this trip. They went out, and their trip went well. So if you look here, there's a lot of geography in this chapter. And so the Bible, even though the Bible is really long, 
The Bible actually economizes the language whenever possible. So sometimes you have to really read it carefully word for word because nothing is extra at all matters. So this book is written by Luke, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's a very precise writer. So he talks about a lot of geography. So we know that geography is going to matter. So first of all, the beginning of this trip, they left Antioch, which was in Syria. Syria was a real center of Christianity when it started. And they went to three towns, Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. So check this out. You can kind of see where they went. It wasn't a huge trip to start. These are where Paul had been before. Churches were already there. They were the churches that were encouraged and strengthened. So you see it's a pretty decent journey, especially when you consider, you know, there's no easy pass lanes or anything like that, no commuter train, not easy terrain. So they had traveled quite a ways, and they had done everything they set out to do. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. This is an interesting verse. What verse 6 is telling us is that when they finished their trip, when they finished everything they set out to do, they decided to go further. And as they went further, they went into the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. You can see they were kind of wandering north and a little bit west. As they got further from home, the Holy Spirit somehow let them know, listen, I don't want you to preach in these areas. We don't know how. I'm actually dying to know the answer to that. How exactly did God let them know, hey, I don't want you to talk about me here. I don't know if it was some sort of a vision. I don't know. Some people have suggested that maybe one of them was sick. You know, but somehow Silas was a prophet. Maybe he was the one who knew. We don't know. But somehow they were not supposed to teach and start churches in this area at that time. I don't know why. In fact, it's a little bit confusing. Because you have Paul, the best at this who's ever lived, who goes out, starts new churches. And the hand-picked team that he wanted with him on this trip. This is what they do. This is what they're good at. They're sent for this purpose. And suddenly... This door is closed. Why? I don't know. But God said, I don't want you to work in this area. And so what happens next really surprises me because I'll tell you what I would have done. I'll be straight as I can be. If I had left Antioch, gone through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and had traveled now up to the north towards the Black Sea. By the way, this is all in Turkey now. And then got there and God said, I don't want you to teach here. I would have said, cool, we had a great trip. We did everything we sent out to do. We did everything we told everyone we were going to do. We tried to go a little further. God said, no, it's time to go home. I would have said, nice work, everybody. Good job. You know, see a few sights on the way home. Would have headed back. That's what I would have done. But that is not what they did. Instead, in the face of this closed door, they did something interesting. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They went even further. They kept going. Now they've wrapped back around. They're headed towards the coast. They're in an area called Bithynia. Still, now the Spirit of Jesus, and Paul is using the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus interchangeably for a reason. He's letting you know. Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of God. Jesus is God. This is all the same. He says, here in Bithynia, we don't want you to preach there either. Interesting. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now they've gone all the way to the coast. This I understand. Okay? 
Say, I'm not really sure where to go. Let's go to the beach. I like that. <laughs> this works for me, totally. I've done this before. I don't really know where to go. Let's just go to the water. Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they were all the way to the coast, and then they had the calling of God to say, come to Macedonia. Macedonia is in Greece. Okay? Now, I know what you're thinking. Chris, if every time God closes doors in my face, I end up in Greece, I will be happy. That's not exactly what happened here. This is culturally very significant. Because when they went to Galatia to preach there, God said no, they kept going. They went to Bithynia, God said no, they kept going. Eventually, God sent them to Europe. This was the first time the Christian message had ever gone to Europe. The first time the message of Jesus left the Middle East, or what the Bible usually calls the province and area of Asia. This is a big deal because for Christianity, for people around the globe to follow Jesus, it was going to have to get out of the neighboring countries and get to other continents. And now the Christian faith is in Europe. And amazing things happened on this trip. They met a woman named Lydia who was kind of a leader in her spiritual you know, synagogue. And she became a follower of Christ. Lydia was the first Christian in Europe. It happened on this trip. Then Paul and Silas got thrown in jail. This was the first time Paul had the privilege <clears throat> of going to jail. But during the night, there was an earthquake, and the gates of the jail opened. They could have left, but they decided not to. That was an open door. I don't know. I guess that's not going to fit in this message somehow. Um, and instead, the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, became a follower of Jesus. And in fact, if you've read a lot of the New Testament, look at the cities they went to on this trip. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. Who can tell me what's significant about those three cities? Go ahead, Lance. There's books about them in the Bible. He's exactly right. Because they're all in such important places that Paul stayed in touch with them and wrote them letters later that are included in the Bible today. Incredible things happened on this trip because of closed doors. And so it's important for us to kind of talk about what this looks like. See, God has a will and a plan for your life. And it's really best to understand it two different ways. He has a general will and a specific will. Okay? His general will for your life is pretty straightforward, and you can unpack it by studying the Bible. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love the person of Christ. He wants you to, to spend your life learning to love him. He wants you to love people. Everyone that you know is created in the image of God. He wants you to learn to love them, to be there for them, to be demonstrating the love that you have to God, now to others. As you learn to love others, you will also be growing in your faith. He doesn't want you to just to put your faith in him, but he also wants you to be growing and maturing to become the person that he wants you to be. And then from there, you go out and you serve the world on his behalf, that both <clears throat> through your vocation, through your relationships, through your significant service that you do, whether it's with your spiritual family or on your own. These are all opportunities to serve him. This is the general will that he has for your life. And that is a lot of information that you can be acting on. But all that is still a little bit distant because that's God's general will for everyone. It's not any different for me than it is for you. But God also has 
specific will for your life. You say, does God really care where I work? Yes, he does. Does God really care who you are in relationship with, who you marry? Yes, he does. Does God really care where you go to college? Yes, he does. God is personally invested in the details of your life. Think of one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. It's from Psalm 23, right? The King James, we know it. The NIV, a newer translation, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. There are right paths for your life that he is guiding you into. That is the specific will that God has for you. And you can start to understand that specific will often by examining how he's made you. What are the gifts that you have? What do you do well that God can use? Where has he placed you where you can impact the world? That starts to become his specific will for your life. And as we understand these doors that God places in front of us, we need to feel that balance between his general will and his specific will. Because I believe that's exactly what we're seeing on Paul's trip. Paul went out, he knew the general will that God had for him was to go out. His particular gifting was in teaching and in starting churches. So he went out to do that. And when he went to a community where God said, not here, he kept going. He said, okay. When he went to another community and God said, not here, he kept going. See, so often for us, especially in the spiritual part of our life, when we encounter a closed door, we use that as an excuse for inaction. We say, well, this door appears to be closed. Apparently, I don't have to do anything. And we're stuck. Now, I know you would never do this, but your friends do this all the time, if you think about it. Okay? You can probably think of people right now that are just so holy that they never get anything done. Okay? Right? They get stuck. Because a closed door, they said, I don't know what to do, so they do nothing. But you have an incredible leading already in the general will that God has for your life, to keep going. So, let's think about it for a minute. What do we do when we encounter these doors? First of all, what do you do when you encounter a door that's open? That's easy, right? Almost. When you encounter a door that's open, the first thing that I want you to do is check it, okay? Not every door that opens in your life is from God. A door that opens in your life that isn't from God, has a very special name. It's called temptation, okay? So you need to check that this open door is really for you. The best place to check it is to check it against Scripture. You know, if God, you know, if, if you think God is calling you into some great opportunity, you know, to become like an axe murderer or something, you should check that against Scripture because that's not going to be in there, Okay? But they're, all, they're not all that easy. You know, you might be thinking about a new career field that has questionable ethics. That door is not from God. You might be considering a relationship with someone who you know doesn't follow Christ. That leading isn't going to be from God because the two of you have your lives based on fundamentally different foundations. That leading isn't from Him. You might feel like you see an opportunity for a relationship that's going to pull you away from relationships and commitments you've already made. Yeah, that's not from God either. That's temptation. Not every door that opens is from God. You have to check it. And with that comes the understanding that an open door from God doesn't appear all on its own, absent the context of any other leading. 
You know, today and going forward for several weeks, we're talking about more specific ways that God leads us. Today being doors. You know, we're also going to talk about how he leads us through other people. We'll talk about how he leads us through our own pain. We'll talk about how he leads us through inner promptings, kind of almost hearing his voice internally. None of them work alone. All of them work together as God is leading you in your life. So if an open opportunity comes out of the blue, and wise people you know don't seem to think it's great for you, or, you know, it's, it's kind of coming out of bitterness or pain, you have to really check that door. But if you checked it against all those things and you know it's from God, then fantastic, he's answered your prayer. But what do you do if you come across a door that's closed? Well, the first thing that I want you to do is check it. All right, go ahead, rattle it a little bit, shake it around. God's a big boy, he can handle it. You really thought this door was going to be open, and it wasn't. Check it. Make sure that this opportunity really is closed for you. Now, it's not as simple as it sounds, and we can unpack this, because God could be doing something in your life where he wants to teach you perseverance in how to kind of get this door open that seems closed. He also might be teaching you submission, how to leave a door alone that is closed. So I can't unpack all that in one moment. But you should still check a door that's closed and really see if it is. And if it is, then what do you do? You move on in his general will for your life. You continue to pursue the mission of God and continue to pray for a more specific door to open. And here's what I can promise you. If the door is closed now, another door will open later that is better. And when we say better, that has an asterisk after it. Because the footnote there is he is the one who decides what is better, okay? That does not mean, you know, the door was closed to this job that I wanted that was going to pay a little more money. I guess there's going to be another door later that's going to pay a lot more money. That is not what that means at all. You can pray that way if you want. It's not what I mean. Remember, God is always refining you to become everything he's created you to be and to bring glory to him. So another door that comes later will be accomplishing that purpose for you. And then as we grow in maturity and our thoughts become more like Christ, when he brings us what is better, we also will very much enjoy the fulfillment of that. Does that make sense? So listen, you know, make sure you're listening because if you leave here and you, you tweet out that at Beacon they said if one door closes, a better one opens later, make sure you put your asterisk, okay? Better means God's true plan and call for your life. Because he does tell you to pursue. Jesus was talking about this in Matthew 7. He said it this way. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And as we think about these doors, I also just want to remind you, a lot of times in life, we make too much of these doors of opportunity. Now, don't get me wrong. We're talking about where you're going to live, maybe where you're going to work, um, who you might marry, where you might go to school. These are a big deal. I'm not saying that they're not. But these are not the doors that truly define your life. There are doors that are more important. In fact, the door that is talked about in Scripture that is the most impactful is talked about in the very last book in the Bible. It's said in a couple of different ways. First of all, and it's called the book of the Revelation. In chapter 3, first it says in verse 7, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. 
there is a door that he has opened for you, and that door is in verse 20. He says, here I am. This is Jesus talking. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What does that mean? That means that Jesus has come to you and said, I want to be in relationship with you. When he says, I want to eat with them, he's talking about the closest type of, of fair, uh, fellowship and love and just coming together in life. That is the most important door you could ever consider. That door dwarfs all other doors in your life. I would encourage you, if you've never kind of evaluated where you sit in front of that door, today would be the time for you to really think about that. You know, have you been going through life trying to be a better person? Have you been trying to be the best version of yourself? Or have you been going through life learning to submit yourself to the person of Jesus? You know, for many of us, it's actually helpful, you know, especially if you kind of came to faith in Jesus as an adult. You know, many people can tell you the day and time where they said, you know what, Jesus, I want to make sure that you know that the door to my heart is open to you. For me, when I was a kid, they would just ask us in church to raise our hand, and I would raise my hand, and I raised my hand again and again, and finally my parents were like, you don't have to raise your hand every time. So finally, I remember I was eight years old, it was Easter Sunday, and I said, okay, I can always remember that when I was eight years old on Easter Sunday, I raised my hand, and I said, I have opened the door of my heart. You know, I have other friends who can tell me exactly, oh, today I've been a Christian for X number of years, because they remember the day and the time when they said, I have opened the door of my heart to Jesus. And I think for some of you, that day could be today or that day could be this month as you think about it. So I would encourage you, that is the door in your life that matters the most. That you say, Jesus, I am putting my faith in you. That's what leads to baptism. That you say, I have accepted a new life in Christ. The old Chris is gone. The new Chris has come. And I'm not perfect now but I'm forgiven of my sins and he's helping me to grow into the person that he wants me to be. And so I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up and they're going to get ready to play and kind of set up for us a little bit. And this last song that we sing is about that. It's about how Jesus died and he rose again. And that presents us with the opportunity to also be purified, to also be made clean and holy before him, that we can walk through that door in him. So let's take a time to pray here together. God, thank you for the truth of the Bible that when we can study the scripture, we see so much for how you want us to live in this world. We understand your will for us. And God, we look to you for leading also in those individual and specific things in our hearts and in our minds that mean so much to us. But God, keep those in context with this. I pray for all of my friends who are here today that every one of us would be evaluating where we stand in front of you. Have we truly reached out? Have we truly said that today is the day of my salvation? I put my trust and I put my hope in Jesus Christ. So God, I thank you for this time and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.